Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Before I left, we were doing the series on Encountering God, and this is the last in that series because next week is Lent and we'll be starting into a new Lenten season. I want to talk this morning about encountering God in three persons. As you encounter God the Father, he will confirm your identity. As you encounter God the Son, he will apply his work to your life. As you encounter God the Spirit, he will empower you to live out the life that God has in you and for you. So come with me in your imagination to the first century desert in the region of Palestine. There's not much there. There are a lot of rocks and hills and sand, very little vegetation, very little of anything. The Dead Sea isn't that far away, and not, not much grows there. There are some towns like Jericho and some religious communities, uh, one called the Essenes, that's who uh, created and uh, passed down the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found uh, 50, 60 years ago. But there isn't much in the desert. Now, running through the desert is the Jordan River. Now, when you think of the Jordan River, don't imagine the Ottawa River, don't imagine the Rideau River. Imagine the Tay River that runs through Stewart Park, okay? It's, it's barely bigger than a, a creek. It's, it's, they call it the Jordan River, and it's a, it, it's a, a little muddy. Uh, so with the rocks and sands and cliffs as a backdrop, we come to Mark chapter 1. We find this guy named John the Baptist. Verse 6 tells us that he, he wore the same getup as many of the prophets of the Old Testament did. He wore clothes made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his weight. His diet... Uh, was just enough nourishment to sustain him. He wasn't exactly doing fine dining. It was locusts and honey. In this inhospitable place, on the backside of nowhere, without much around, John starts to preach, and God shows up. Isn't that just like God? He's a way of showing up in the quiet places away from the hype, away from the noise. Jerusalem was the religious capital of the times, and he could have showed up in the, temp, in the temple, but that was the place of money changers. And while people were doing things for God, they would probably miss God if he showed up there. As an aside, some of the most profound Christian writing in the last 2,000 years came out of the desert. There are a number of Christians in the early centuries that would live as hermits in the desert to meet with God. And some of them did and wrote wonderful books on the spiritual life. We know these people as the Desert Fathers because they had had this profound influence on our faith. God has a way of showing up in desert places. He's a way of showing up in remote areas. And some of these desert places are not geographical. They're regions of the soul. 
Some of you are very uh, familiar with the wilderness experience. Your soul is dry, and there isn't much life. But here's the thing. God has a way of showing up in the desert. God has a way of meeting us in uncluttered places. God has a way of connecting with us in places where we would least expect him to be. Remembering the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll come back with me to that first century desert. John, Don, John just didn't show up at random. Verse 2 and 3 says that this camel-wearing, grasshopper-eating, desert-living prophet was sent by God as a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. How does one go about preparing the way for the Lord? How does one go about preparing for God to show up? When you're in the wilderness, where do you go to find water? How do you prepare to meet God? John the Baptist was preparing the way for the people of Israel to meet with God, to meet with the Messiah. This is how he did it, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this wasn't what we would call a Christian baptism. Uh, in Christian baptism, we are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we are baptized into Jesus. We are reenacting his death as we go under the water and as his resurrection as we come out of the water, uh, saying that his death and now his new life applies to us. But in Acts chapter 19, you have this curious story about Paul going to the city of Ephesus. And here's what it says. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The answer, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are a lot of really cool things about this passage, but the one thing I want you to notice is that John's baptism wasn't a Christian baptism. And so people who had been baptized by John were rebaptized. So what is John doing in the wilderness? He's preparing the way for the Lord. And he was doing that by John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance. Repentance means a change of mind. It's a change in how I perceive what I was doing, and then it's a change in behavior. Luke tells us this about the preaching of John the Baptist. He says this. They're talking to John the Baptist. What should we do then, the crowd asked, and John answered. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. 
And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some asked, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Repentance means changing your mind and your behavior. Repentance means doing things differently. Repentance isn't a feeling. It's not a religious ritual. Although some people repent by, you know, maybe coming to an altar, maybe praying with somebody. But repentance at its core is changing our direction. And it is the way you create a road on which you may encounter God. But here's where the baptism comes in. John's baptism was a way of driving a stake in the ground, saying, things are going to be different now. I want God to come. I'm preparing the way, so I want to prepare my life. I'm repenting. Baptism was a way of driving a stake in the ground and saying, this is what happened. Verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see him, out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, people who were baptized confessed their sins. They knew what they did wrong. They acknowledged what they did wrong. They were baptized as a, a monument to the commitment that they were going to do right. And in this process, there was forgiveness of sins. Here's what I want you to know. The best Christians I know, the ones who have gone furthest in their Christian life, the ones who have the deepest intimacy with God, the one who I, I know walk with God well, without exception, have this discipline of repentance and confession down to an art. The people I know who are constantly encountering God are people who are totally at home with repentance. For them, repentance isn't a scary thing. They see it as more as, how can I get on the same page with God? How can he and I be working in sync with each other? They don't see change in their mind as a bad thing or an overwhelming thing or even really a big thing. They see it as a necessary thing to pursue God, to encounter God. They know how to prepare a way for God to come. If you really want to get to know God better, if you really want a closer walk with God, Learning and practicing confession and repentance is where you start. Here's what I come to believe. Most of us have the walk with God we want. We probably don't have the walk with God we say we want. But many of us would say we, we, we want to have a deeper relationship with God. 
We want to be more intimate with Christ. We want to be filled with the power of the Spirit. We want to really know God. But whenever we find ourselves wanting this, without being willing to discipline, to engage in the discipline of confession and repentance, it's just a wish. It doesn't happen when we refuse to engage in repentance. And when we refuse, we're, we're demonstrating that we really have the God, walk with God that we want. We say, God, I want to meet you. But we are not ready to do the heart work to prepare for his coming. Yet Jesus would say this from Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Those who I love... I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door, knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Back to the first century. Here's what John preached. And this was his message. After come, me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is saying, somebody's going to show up, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave or do menial, meaning, menial tasks for him. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. But please note, there's a time before, between confession and repentance and when God showed up. There's a time before, between when people got baptized for repentance and when they encountered God. John says, it's coming. And when he's coming, he's going to do more than baptize with water He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And again, the timing's up to God. But here, John introduces to us the second and third member of the Trinity. Let's focus what he has to say on the third member, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. John says, Jesus is going to come, and he is going to baptize you or immerse you in the Holy Spirit. It is the expectation of John. It is the expectation of Scripture that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, that you would be immersed in or baptized in the Spirit of God. Or that you'd be filled with the Spirit of God. It's something that Jesus does for his followers. Now, there are a lot of you who are new enough to the faith that you wouldn't recognize the theological minefield that I'm just stepping into right now. There's other of you who are in the middle, uh, were in the middle of some major controversies in this area about 30 years ago. There were, thir there were a lot of churches that split over this stuff. What it boils down to is this. The Bible is very clear. That if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. If the Holy Spirit is not inside of you, then you are not a Christian. But 
The question is, is when the Bible says the Holy Spirit is inside of you, is that equivalent to being baptized with the Spirit or filled with the Spirit? Or is there a place for a second experience with God of being filled with the Spirit? And to make it a little bit more complicated, Paul tells the Ephesians, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The tense that would most accurately read, be being filled with the Spirit. So we get the Spirit of conversion, and we keep on getting more and more. And is there a place where we get immersed? Should we be looking for some experience to be baptized in the Spirit? I know many people who would testify to having that experience. I know other Spirit-filled Christians who wouldn't testify to that. So what are we to make of that? Here's what I've come to believe. We should never judge ourselves or others by the spiritual experiences we have or haven't had. God treats us all differently, so I'm reluctant to handcuff God and say, you must experience this. Um, he gives us all, he has, he has to give me, we say to him, you have to give me this experience or that experience when you give me your spirit. But we are to judge ourselves. We judge ourselves by outcome. I, if I am immersed in the, the spirit or filled with the spirit, there are going to be a number of outcomes in my life. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit will be plainly demonstrated. The fruit, this is the fruit of being filled with the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We don't judge ourselves by the experience, we judge ourselves by the fruit. Uh, the next one is the gifts of the Spirit. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit, you had the fruit of the Spirit. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of God was put in you. But you also received gift or gifts of the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, those are empowered in your life. What that means is that when you're using your spiritual gifts, you see other people bear fruit. So when you encourage somebody, if you have the gift of encouragement, they walk away encouraged. Um, the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. And so the next one up is being evidence of being filled with the Spirit is a holy life. People who are filled with the Spirit live holy lives. Not perfect lives. Not, oh, it's not that we're perfect. But with God's help, we're doing the things we know we should do and not doing the things we know we shouldn't do. That's holiness, right? And the Spirit of God empowers us to do that. 
I know we get it wrong, and that's where we come back to confession and repentance, and, and then God shows us stuff, and we come back to confession and repentance, but the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. The gifts of the Spirit are empowered in our life, a holy life. The last one, the Word of God dwells in us richly. Um, and that's what it says in Colossians, or, and it says in Ephesians with, that we looked at. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our heart. There's this, there's this sense that the Word of God is dwelling in us, that worship is, is happening in our hearts. I would urge you to ask, not have I had the experience of being baptized in the Spirit, but rather, am I demonstrating the fruit of being filled with the Spirit? And if it isn't there, then maybe you need more of the Spirit. Or maybe the Spirit needs more of you. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, here's what you do. We talked about repentance and confession. Ask God, is there anything that I need to, to repent and of? Then I would encourage you to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, be being filled. So that's a good prayer for all of us to pray. Lord, fill me again with your Holy Spirit. If you're feeling this deficiency keenly, have other people pray for you. Lord, people that you know are filled with the Spirit, have them pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. Here's what I know. God gives good gifts to those who ask. And I know it's his will to fill you with his Spirit. Put yourself in a place where God can come to you. Prepare your hearts to meet God. Here's what I've come to understand. God earnestly desires to fill our lives. But he is a gentleman and he will not force himself upon you. He goes where he's invited. He responds to invitation. But he really, really loves you. you know him. Well, back to our passage in Mark. We've encountered the third person of the Trinity in John, the Baptist words. Let us move to Jesus. John says of Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Uh, all heaven adores him. The, the, the boasts of, of heaven, or the hosts of heaven, bow, bow down to him. The wonders of heaven are at his disposal. None of us are worthy of knowing him. Uh, none of us are worthy of encountering him. But it is not our worthiness that matters. It is his grace. And he really wants to know us. And as we've just read, he stands outside the door of our heart and knocks. And he wants to open the door for fellowship with him. Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to come into your heart. It's not based on worthiness. It's based on desire. Verse 9. At this time, Jesus of Nazareth came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That was about an 80-kilometer journey, baptism by John. He didn't do it as a sign of repentance, but a sign to us of the significance of baptism. If Jesus was baptized, then we need to be baptized too. Verse 10, 
just as Jesus was coming out out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit of God who we talked about descended on upon Jesus. Some would say this is where he was anointing for ministry, whatever the case. This is, there was an encounter with the Spirit and with the Father. And at the same time, the Father spoke from heaven and said, You are my Son, whom I love. I am pleased with you. Here you have the, the, the Trinity at work. You have the voice of God the Father, and you can tell that by the sonship language, speaking to God the Son as the Spirit of God is descending on him. This is what the Father speaks. Ah, oh, this is my Son. This is my beloved Son. God the Father has a way of speaking love into the hearts of his children. Here you see him confirming the identity of Jesus. Remember, until this time, if you're to talk about being sons of God or about having God as our father, you'd be thought of as a heretic, of being sacrilegious. But here God the Father confirms Jesus' identity. Jesus, through his work on the cross, has introduced us to the Heavenly Father. And now we, he has become our Heavenly Father. We have been adopted into the family of God. He invites us to encounter God the Father. And God the Father has a way of saying, Ah, you are my son. You are my daughter. He has a way of confirming our identity in him as well. Verse 12. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. He hears the voice confirming his identity. He's filled with the spirit. The spirit settles on him. And then he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. It's one of those things where when you face hard times, you need to know you are in the hands of your heavenly father. You need to know that God sees you. Because he sees you, you, and because he has spoke to you, you know who you really are. Some of you have seen yourself as, and your identity is powerless or ugly or addicted or small or other names that your family and your friends have placed upon you. And maybe even Satan has tried to beat you with. But the Father has a way of saying, ah, I know who you are, and you're mine, and I love you. I want you to know that he is still in that business. He's a way of speaking into our lives that way. And he may name you with strength and peace and grace-filled and compassionate. Jesus went out of that place and did the work of his Father. And you and I have come to the Father. And through him, we are involved in that work as well. 
I talked about at the beginning, you may find yourself in the wilderness. But it's right when you're there to look for, to encounter God. God in three persons wants to encounter you. He wants to speak as a father and say, oh, I love you, my child. I love you. He wants to speak as a son and, and say, oh, I've done all the work that needs to be done on your behalf. He wants to speak to you by the Spirit and says, I want to empower you to do my work. I want to empower you to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, to live a holy life, to allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Encountering God in three persons. It all started with repentance. We're moving into a season of Lent. Lent is just a season where we get ready to receive Jesus in a deeper way into our lives. I want to invite you into that journey with us in these coming weeks. Let's pray. So, Lord, in this time and place, we give thanks. Thank you, Lord, that you meet with us. I pray for each person here who wants to encounter you. I pray that they would encounter you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do your work in their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.